You're listening to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. I'm your host, Abby Klein. On the show, I interview entrepreneurs and other professionals from throughout the French and greater European startup ecosystems. We look at some of the interesting new developments that have taken place in France over the last few years and how the country is developing into a startup nation. On Radical Departures, you'll hear founders of some of the hottest companies share their stories and important things they've learned along the way. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. Aujourd'hui, il n'a jamais été un meilleur endroit et un meilleur moment que la France en 2018 pour lancer une boîte, faire grandir une boîte et pour décoller euh, vers l'international et aller conquérir le monde. C'est le moment. This is episode 42 of the Radical Departures podcast. A little something different for you this week. I had the privilege of attending La French Touch conference here in Paris in May of this year. It's an event that brings together French and international entrepreneurs to discuss what makes France shine, to define just what exactly that French Touch is. They come from all over, having founded and built out companies around the world to share their experiences on stage, passing on lessons learned and best practices to those gathered in the audience. This year, among other distinguished guests, the Secretary of State for Digital Affairs, Munir Majoubi, addressed the crowd, highlighting some of the positive developments that have taken place in France over the past few years, making the country a much friendlier place for startups. There was a volonté absolue, c'est de dire en recréant plus d'emplois en France, en dynamisant l'activité des entreprises, on va être capable de créer plus d'égalité, on va être capable de créer pour les familles plus de trajectoires positives pour chacun, et on va être capable d'atteindre ces objectifs qu'on a voulu pour notre pays, c'est-à-dire permettre à chacun, quelles que soient ses origines, quel que soit son territoire de naissance, de faire pour lui ou pour sa famille le chemin qu'il a souhaité. Et on pense que le travail, et on pense que l'emploi, c'est la valeur originelle, c'est celle qui va permettre la transformation, celle qui a permis d'aller très loin. The event, which now holds editions in New York, San Francisco, Paris, and upcoming this October in Toronto, was begun in 2013 by entrepreneur Gaël Duval. Le but de la French Touch Conference, c'est d'être une conférence itinérante à travers le monde qui va dans les endroits qui sont des carrefours de business. Nous, notre triptyque, il est très simple, c'est des lieux de business dans lesquels il y a des Français et où l'innovation peut se développer. He and his team put innovators, investors, and entrepreneurs from all sectors together to create a rich microcosm of the French startup ecosystem at each edition. Alors, cette petite touche française, la French Touch Conference, enfin la French Touch, c'est cette manière de, de justement d'associer euh, mathématiques et créativité, ingéniosité et création. Je pense qu'il y a une manière qui est liée à notre culture, qui est liée au siècle des Lumières, qui est liée à notre manière de voir le monde, qui est souvent d'être d'abord un peuple qui dit non. Euh, qui, qui est un des rares peuples à savoir dire non. Et quand on dit non, eh ben, on a tendance à, à penser les choses différemment. Et ensuite, d'avoir un énorme bagage culturel qui est source de notre formation, pour le coup, qui est, qui est à mon avis qualitative là-dessus, et, et, et qui fait qu'on euh, arrive à, à réfléchir autrement à une problématique, à y apporter une autre solution. Et donc, cette friend touch, c'est quelque chose qu'il faut continuer à amplifier, c'est d'associer créativité et, et ingéniosité et, et donc d'avoir des excels créatifs dans, la, dans, dans les business plans. I caught up with a couple of the speakers at the conference in Paris to chat with them about their experiences as founders and what they got out of their participation in the French Touch conference. 
I spoke to Julien Khaled, co-founder of Made.com, the French-founded multi-million dollar e-commerce furniture startup that skyrocketed to success in London, and with Mohamed Awash, co-founder and CEO of New York-based Storefront, the world's leading platform for booking commercial spaces to use as pop-up stores. If you're interested in hearing more stories like Julien and Mohamed's, check out La French Touch Conference's website at lafrenchtouchconference.net and attend one of their next editions. So without further ado, here's episode 42 with Julien Khaled and Mohamed Awash at La French Touch Conference. So here at La French Touch Conference with Julien Khaled, co-founder of Made.com. Welcome, Julien. Hi. So tell us about your background. Tell us about Made.com. What led you there? What have you been doing since then? That's actually a very full question. My background is, so we, we, we started Made in 2010. We were uh, four founders. The quite original thing is we were three French founders in, in the UK, plus one non-exec. The whole target of the company was to make good design, original furniture affordable for everybody. At that time, 10 years ago, if you were on the market for some furniture and you wanted something functional, you just wanted a coffee table and that was all. You had, you had a, a, good, a good option on the market and you could get them for like $9.99 from a nice Swedish company. That was not even bad looking. But if you wanted something nicer, you had nothing. It was costing you too much. And for most of the offer you had there, um, that was not really original. It was either crap looking or the same as elsewhere or, or, or too expensive. We had some knowledge of the industry of the furniture industry were not only cool young people who were quite ambitious on knew a bit of e-commerce. We, we knew how the furniture industry was working and we knew that the way the industry was working was broken. If you take the example of a sofa on that you're going to buy on the market for 2000 pounds at that time, you were going to buy on the market for 2000 pounds. That was costing very often in a factory $200. So you had a lot of markups and a lot of intermediaries in the middle, like taking a cut, on making that product very, very expensive for the customer. The worst part of it being that all these guys were, were not bad guys. They were not just like trying to get a cut on, on ripping everybody off. They were not even making money. And, and all the guys in the market were going like best. The, the furniture industry had been like living tough times for like 20 years. We just found a new way of, of making it possible to design and develop on, on source product that made it possible through selling them all online through one shop for one country that made it possible to uh, make them more affordable. The second part of it, actually the first part of it, was that we were also developing the item and designing them directly with the factories, hence being able to offer original design. So that launched in 2010. So we, we started working on the project on, on, on January. We rushed quite a lot uh, in, in launching the website. We thought that the idea was so cool and so amazing that everybody would jump into it uh, on launching the UK. So we launched the website in, in Two months and a half, that was pretty quick. The poor guy on, <laughs> at that time was our CTO, who actually had a month and a half to do it. We had a team of eight when we launched with, with creative director, CTO, designer, sourcing person on everything. And we launched the website with two products. We were setting one table on a pair of chairs, which for some people will, will, will look crazy and, and in a way was, was pretty stupid. Could look stupid, but... You know, when, when you launch your company on, on when you start a project, you, you turn every issue into like a cool thing. So that was not a big deal because 
our company was offering new products every week on a new design every week and you had a week to order them and if they were not working well enough we were ditching them on, on, on selling new ones so first week we had two products and, and then the week after we had a table two chairs on two cook of table and the week after we had a table two chairs two of table on, on, on five lamps and we started releasing products on collaborations with factories and designers We've always thought that the price point would be so amazing and the design would be so different that we'd be selling thousands of items per week, per item. That never goes that way. The good news is we had sales. That's still a good news because when you launch your company, the big thing you need to prove first year or first month is that people actually want to buy into it, that you're selling something people want. Um, the second thing being that you need to prove that you can deliver on your promise. But the good news that was that we were selling. Um, so that, that was the beginning. Eight of us in, in, in a small room is been growing quite a bit uh, over the years. We, we raised a bit of cash straight away, 2.5 million. That helped build a real team on a real company, on real marketing day one. We didn't have to go through the four years of like bootstrapping and struggling, which would have been very hard for us uh, due to the scope of work the company is, is going through. We, we design stuff, we import them, we deal with manufacturers, we do e-commerce, we do supply chain. It would have been too complex without cash. We were only in the UK and only online when we started. That was 2010 and it's evolved quite a bit over the years. We raised funds quite a few times. We, we opened showrooms. We decided that we took us two years and a half to decide that we, the idea of being purely online and telling everybody that was the only way of like being, being cash efficient and price efficient was possibly pretty stupid or not the, not, not the best one. We took one turn in 2012, a small one, opening showrooms. The second turn we took was in 2013 when we started to expand internationally. We, we had been telling our, our board or our team and our investors that we would not go abroad too soon because we had to prove the market and to prove the model in the UK. We just decided to push ourselves and, and, and make the move in 2013 and we launched in France, in Italy, in Netherlands, in 2014, in Germany. And we've been growing the business quite a bit since then. Now, to, to give you a small picture, it's... It's been selling a few million items in eight countries in Europe, UK, France, Netherlands, Germany, Ireland, Austria, Belgium, and Switzerland now. We've been developing, and the team's been developing roughly 10,000 SKUs in-house, and in collaboration with designers. So we own the IP on all those. And it's roughly, it's been turning over in 2017. I mean, the, the, the numbers are public now, 127 million pounds still growing by 40% per year in, in, in all the countries. Pretty happy with that. On, on, on we have a lot of challenges uh, on the way on coming up. It might be big, at least for us, um, but it's still pretty small in most of the countries. We were very good in some categories of products. We were not big yet in some others. And there is still a lot of room to, to, to grow on a lot of challenges to tackle. But we have a very good team to do that. So why London? You're three French co-founders. Why did you choose London and not Paris to, to start? I think we all loved beer. No, why did we move to London? Because that was a move for, for two of us. The first reason is for the, that for the two other ones, that wasn't a move. Brent Huberman or, or, or non-exec and Chloe were living in London already. Brent's network has been super important and crucial, in, especially in the early stages of the companies to raise cash or to, to get help or, or, or support from all the industry. So that made a lot of sense. The second thing being that if you want to launch uh, an international company from day one, and, and that's what you have in mind, 10 years ago, let's say eight years ago when we launched, that made much more sense in London. We can discuss Brexit now on, on, on the hype in Paris and all that stuff. At least at that time, London was much more international. 
both in terms of reach, in terms of language, and in terms of the, the teams you could hire. Plus, it was a pretty mature market online. So it made, I mean, there, there was no question. So you left Made.com, what, a year ago? A year ago. What have you been working on since then, and, and what do you see in the future for you? And good question. So the, one of the big moves we made, I forgot this one, in, in the life of the company, is we, we heard a CEO, I mean, an MD who became our CEO officially in of 2016. The three founders have uh, one by one left the business, left their exit role. We're still shareholders, so we haven't left left. And that's very key for us. On my side, I started with taking some holidays. So I went traveling. I went traveling for roughly a year. I actually got bored pretty quickly, but life meant that I traveled a bit more. I was coming back to London pretty often, but I came back full-time in London, to London in, in, in November last year. And I've been spending my time on a few too many things, to be honest, at the very beginning, helping quite a lot of companies. It's good to give back and it's hard to say no. But I'm now refocusing my time on, on a few new ventures, which I'm working on with either people I know or, or I'm actually looking for a few people to join us in two of the teams. Did you always consider yourself an entrepreneur? To be honest, no. When I was a kid, I, was a, I had no clue I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a cook until my, my mom told me that if I wanted to be a cook, I needed to start by helping her cook the dinner. And that's not even a joke. That would be a good one, but true story. And then I did business school, which is terribly generic. And I think through internships, on works, on people I talked to, I just realized I didn't want to be just in a normal career and do things like everybody else. As soon as I started thinking of like launching a company or building a project or things like this, I think it's, it's that, that kind of virus that hits you on, when you're stuck. You're like, I want to do something that has an impact. I want to do something that is tangible. I want to be partly my own boss on that stuck with me after a business school. It took me a while though to make the jump. My first two jobs were not as an entrepreneur. It took me meeting people to do that. I think what helped making that jump was for the project, but especially the team we had at MADE, both Ning and Chloe and Brent. On that, I think what makes the big difference. For most of the entrepreneurs out there, it's very hard to make the jump. Um, and I feel that the easiest thing to make the jump and also to choose what you want to build next, it usually depends on you who you meet. What are some things looking back that you would do differently or mistakes that you have made? No, we've made a, I've made and we've made 20,000 mistakes. Uh, I think the, the, the big thing on the lucky, the lucky thing is none of them was too big. Otherwise, the company wouldn't be there anymore. And every time we made some, we were pretty quick at making changes. One thing I heard once was like, if you talk customers, customers will always, always forgive you when you make a mistake. If you deal with it, they will never forgive you if you make the same one a second time. The one thing I would do differently at Made was to... If I could go back to those early years, especially after two years in business, when we started growing like hell, I mean, we multiplied by four the monthly turnover in like three months between October 2011 and January 2012. And the thing is, everybody had told us to anticipate growth and we were anticipating growth. Seriously, the, we were investing time, effort, cash, management, emotions in customer service, logistics and things because that's what breaks when it breaks. But... We were supposed to have a phone number on the website and we were, we were supposed to release it in February. And we were a bit late on a few things. We saw a few warnings, but we didn't like take them as big enough, quickly enough. And, and when everything breaks your life, I thought I was anticipating, but actually I was not anticipating enough. And, and that can break a company. At that point, 
I had like three months where you actually don't sleep well at night or you don't sleep at all. And everybody is telling you you have the most amazing company in the UK and blah, blah, blah. It's cool and it's growing and it's sexy. And you're like, I'm going to hit the wall in like four months. Uh, and they don't know that. And by the way, I'm managing operations. But looking back, I just know that we could have done that differently. You mentioned that it's tough to say no to people. You want to help out. You want to give back. What are some ways that you do you mentor young entrepreneurs? What, what role do you play in that? Even though I'm trying to go through everything I'm doing on, on focus a bit more, one thing I'm still doing and I will still do on that something that doesn't bring anything back else than I'm feeling good and I'm making good is mentoring um, students or, or incubators. I'm doing that at uh, my business school in Paris. I'm coming back like once a month to do this and I feel it's good. It's good to give back, especially to students. Uh, also because, I mean, education is one of the big sectors I'd love to look into. I think it, it hasn't evolved enough in the last years, mainly because there is not enough cash to be made so people don't focus on this. That was my message for today. And I'm doing the same at the LSE in London, just because it doesn't bring you anything directly, but you bring these guys a lot of things pretty easily. So we're at the French Touch conference today. What is the French Touch to you? What does it mean to you? I think today the French Touch is more about when you see how it goes, it's, it's about being ambitious, being willing to make a difference. People in France right now, are on, every time I'm coming back to Paris, I'm impressed by the fact that they are looking for meaning in their life, especially the new generations. They are willing to make a change. They are talented. When I finished business school, I didn't drop out. I would love to have dropped out and I have an amazing story, but it didn't happen. We were two, I think, out of the whole 500 people to launch a company. Maybe more, but out of my 80 people doing entrepreneurship, we were two. I mean, and I was not one of them. I think now you have like a third of them like living, living business school to launch a company. No matter what a company means, it could be an Uber-like or it could be like a bakery, everything is, is good. People want to make a change. You have an amazing big number of talented people on the market on that's really interesting. On, on the, they want to be, I think they want to be proud of themselves again. On, on being proud doesn't mean being like in a big corporate doing a great title job. It means making a difference in the market. So Julien, thank you for joining us. One last question before you go. How do you define success? No, I think success is very different for everybody. It's a very good question. I wouldn't dare giving one definition of success for all of the guys around there. I think one that would suit most of us, and suits me too, is I think success in your life comes when you're proud of what you've been doing and when you're proud of on what you're achieving. For some people, it's going to mean being good with people. So for some people, it's going to mean having built a big company. For some people, it's going to be having uh, built an amazing family life. I think it's always a bit of those. If you want to look at an easy way of knowing whether you're successful to yourself, just look at whether you're proud of what you've been doing in the last two months. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm here at La French Touch Conference with Mohamed Awash, co-founder and CEO of Storefront. Welcome, Mohamed. Hi, everyone. My name is Mohamed. I'm the CEO of Storefront. So tell us about your background. How did you get to be where you are today? Uh, it's a little bit of luck and uh, a lot of hard work. I was uh, working in Wall Street. And uh, back in uh, 2013, I felt that I was doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And I needed to explore a more meaningful life. And I decided to resign overnight and I moved back to France. Then uh, somehow I bumped into an old colleague of mine in New York, Adrien Carbra, and we decided together to launch the first version of Storefront called Popopimo. And 
how did you then get back to New York and develop to, to where you are now, which is in 10 countries worldwide? It was a combination of a lot of hard work and also we've been extremely uh, diligent on our when addressing the uh, international like, opportunities. What we tried to do early on is to uh, be a visible company and uh, to work very hard on uh, getting the right KPIs. The company grew quite fast and uh, early on we have been welcomed by uh, the French ecosystem uh, by uh, being accepted at uh, NUMA. And from NUMA, uh, the French accelerator program, we managed to uh, be accepted at Techstars in New York. And that's more or less the reason why uh, I moved from Paris to New York early in 2016. So tell us a little bit about the actual concept of Storefront. Storefront is uh, today the world's largest uh, pop-up shop marketplace. We are uh, compared as the next Airbnb for retail. And our business model is to connect projects of retailers with vacant retail spaces. You see more and more uh, pop-up stores in your neighborhood. A lot of them are done and booked to storefront. We're here at the French Touch conference. What does French Touch mean to you? It means a lot because just a few years ago, uh, nobody was inviting me. I was by myself in a coffee shop. Today, uh, feeling uh, the love and the respect of my peers is a fantastic opportunity because I don't take it for granted. The outcome of uh, billions of hours of work, unfortunately for me, so being here is a fa fabulous privilege for me. You said earlier that one of the reasons that you wanted to change career is because you felt you weren't having an impact. Mm -hmm. What kind of impact do you feel that you have today? And what does it mean to you to be an entrepreneur? What I said about impact is that when you wake up in the morning and we all felt that way at some point in our life, you either a follower or a leader. What I wanted to do by uh, becoming an entrepreneur is to understand who I am. Am I a smart guy? Can I create value? Can I bring people around me and convince them that my project, my ideas, my visions are the right one? And this is more or less what I tried to say by uh, having an impactful life. On top of that, I've been blessed by meeting fantastic people in New York or in Paris. And what I wanted to do is to create a family, a storefront family. And the storefront family is very volatile. I have a lot of crazy people in my company, but we all align with this idea that we're here to disrupt retail. What have been some of the things that you, looking back, would do differently now? Everybody told me to hire slow and fire fast. I was stupid enough to hire fast the wrong people, and it creates a lot of mess. You know, don't uh, hire people because you, are, you, you see people who are very good at uh, selling themselves. You have to find hard skills. You have to find people who are technically the right person. So take your time because I have been penalized a lot by hiring the wrong people. And we're now in 2018. You moved to New York in 2016. What have been some changes that you've seen in, in France over the last few years? France is, uh, to my surprise, a fantastic hub for uh, talents. What I say by, uh, to my surprise is that France has historically a fantastic pool of engineers, great business schools, but the startup scene back in 2014 or 15 wasn't as exciting. You know, you could only see few entrepreneurs being successful, but right now I feel that there is more liquidity, that France is catching up with the rest of the world, and from a country of followers, when it comes to uh, 
creating value in the startup scene, I see more and more uh, the new uh, leadership and leaders of tomorrow being uh, born out of France, you know. Do you give back at all to the entrepreneurial community, either in New York or, or here in France? Unfortunately, yes. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> I'm trying to spend as much time as possible with uh, uh, entrepreneurs who want to either test their ideas, uh, don't know where they are in their life. Some people are technically lost. Some people have anxiety about, being, uh, about launching a product. So yes, I'm trying to uh, give back what I received from uh, other uh, fellow uh, mentors back in the day. So thank you, Mohamed, for joining us. Uh, one last question before you go. How do you define success? Waking up with a big smile every day. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of Radical Departures. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show. Catch you next week.